You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. It's time for the New Hampshire Business Update with Jeff Feingold, editor of the New Hampshire Business Review. Get more from them at nhbr.com. So we're recording this on February 24th, and it looks like today's when the Outstanding Women in Business articles are up. Can you speak to what that's about? Yeah, we've been, since 2006, New Hampshire Business Review has given out awards, the Outstanding Women in Business Award to six truly impressive women in the uh, for-profit and non-profit areas uh, who have shown just great uh, just abilities, great, uh, uh, they, they've, they've weathered really adversity that I think a lot of men have never even imagined you could weather on the way up, uh, and, and whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're executives. And uh, what we do is we, we, re- we recognize them. Unfortunately, this year, because of Omicron, we, we usually have an in-person event and we had to do it online. But we had a really interesting panel discussion with our six winners this year where they were talking about what they've gone through to get where they are, what kind of uh, supports they had, what kind of world hurdles they had. And it's really, really always a very enlightening uh, – It's an ev- it usually is in the evening when it's an event. And this year it was, it was on, uh, on online, a virtual meeting, but it was still really interesting. And they're, they're always very, very impressive. <laughs> Yeah, and they they come from a breadth of industries too. Like Marion McCord, I'm relatively familiar with because of her being part of the University of New Hampshire. Yes. But uh, you got an owner of Prime Rose Coffee, owner of Don Quixote Restaurant. It's I mean, what what did they? What were some of their reflections looking back on their careers? Well, you know, it's interesting. They, a lot of them were talking about what they, what it was like when they grew up as, as as children, and and the inspiration they got from either their parents, people in their communities, from the support they have from their communities, and then just being able to feel like a lot of positive energy from people who support them, from mentors, from their, you know, like uh, Sandra Almonte from of Don Quixote was talking about the support she's had from her community. And that's actually why she started the restaurant, which is in the center city here in Manchester, uh, because people in the community wanted, wanted a restaurant. She said, well, I can do that. And it was, that's really, and it's a, it's just an amazing, uh, uh, enterprise there. On, uh, it's on, I believe it's on union street in Manchester. She's a very supportive employer. Actually, she bought a, a building right nearby, a, a four-decker building nearby to provide housing to her employees because housing is so hard to get. Wow. And, and then you have like people like Liz Hitchcock, who's a, who actually is a co-founder of Dine. Her husband, Jeremy, gets most of the big press, but she was there with him. And she is now basically a venture capitalist, and she owns a, a very uh, important uh Bookshop in in New Hampshire in Manchester called the Bookery. It's like a like a kind of an intellectual center, and she's a major major supporter of the arts in Manchester. And then you have people like Michelle McEwen over at Spear Memorial Hospital in Portsmouth. It's it was really a, a lot of impressive people. And it, you know, when we first started this, uh, I had been to an event about a year earlier. Uh, there was a, the organization called the Women's Policy Institute, and they did a study called the glass ceiling in New Hampshire and, and the findings were really pretty dire about how few women were at the executive level of corporations in, in New Hampshire and how even fewer were on boards and stuff. The, the, and you know, this is women, women are 50% of the population. So I remember talking to the right author of it and you know, I said, you know, we, you know, as, a new, as a business publication, we need to be doing this to promote the work of women and, and, their, and, their, and their accomplishments. And that's how we started the, Ham, the Outstanding Women in Business Award back in 2006. And you know, things have changed a lot. Mm. 
those years, but they're still not where they should be. And I, I'm speaking, I, I was a board member of the New Hampshire Women's Foundation for, for, for six years. I just termed out this year. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have been going on, but when it comes to uh, like board membership and top executives, it's still, it's still, um, there's still a long way to go, even though we've made a lot of progress. Do, were the award recipients optimistic about what it, what the future looks like for women in business? Oh, I think they're, they're certainly optimistic about their own endeavors, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, and I think that that's a really good thing. And, you know, and we're talking about these women are really, they're not, I think when we started the award, I don't want to say they were the exception to the women we found because there's a lot of them. But I think it's even more, it's even less of an exception that women are at the head of major corporations, major uh, businesses. They've started their own business, successful businesses. So I, there's several women who, who are presidents of banks in New Hampshire now, and that wasn't necessarily the case back then. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's made, it's a, and then also hospitals. I mean, that's, that's a very important uh, industry because it's definitely women dominated in terms of the workforce. And if you look, even the largest employer in the state is headed by a woman, Joanne Conroy at Dartmouth Hitchcock, and you know, and and and, and Michelle McCune was there from Spear, and several other hospitals are headed by women, and that those are all the major employers. Almost all of them are the major employers in their communities. Let's move over to something totally different: zoning. <laughs> yeah. Sounds pretty boring on the face of it, but when you consider the implications of what zoning really means, it's it, it's very. Uh, all-consuming when it comes to how towns and cities and such are made up. And there, you guys wrote about an Airbnb that has been going through the court system with regards to uh, being able to operate. Yeah, it's a, what, what, this is, it's kind of, it's a little complicated, but, but I think a lot of people understand this. Um, in a lot of communities in New Hampshire, especially ones that are in like resort areas, um, people have own their homes, and a lot of them are not, local people there you know they're renters from their owners from outside and what they do when they're not in their in their homes they rent them out as airbnbs or v, verb, vrbo whatever and mm-hmm. and you know those people so that you know the, the people who are there change daily sometimes or weekly or whatever and there are communities are, that are that are concerned about how this is kind of developed and there have been and this is in conway now mm-hmm. and conway has had a lot of complaints about some uh Owner of some, it's not the owners about the re, about the renters in some of these built in some of these uh, homes, and it's been an ongoing battle, and eventually the, there was an article on the uh, warrant with a, what was a Conway said they wanted to control Airbnbs and not let them in areas in residential areas. Well, there was obviously a lawsuit involved because the owners of, of these uh, areas, these rentals, said these are my, our property. We want to do it with our property when we want to do. And it ended up in Superior Court, and the Superior Court judge found in favor of the owners. So now the town of Conway has just the other day filed uh, for an appeal before the Supreme Court, because this is something that's not just affecting Conway; it affects every community in the state, and in particular communities, you know, like on the seacoast, in the lakes regions, in the Dartmouth Lake, Sunapee region, you know, where, wherever there are lakes, really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, up north, up in the North Country. And it, it, I mean, the ramifications about this are not just about whether people could rent that, rent their homes out and everything, but it, there's another aspect of this that you know we're beginning to start exploring at the business review is 
you know, this is not just something, it's, it's, we're having a very serious housing shortage in the state. And a lot of those properties used to be rented. Right. People year round or, you know, even, or non, non-season. But now they're not. Now they're all year round and, and it's taking a lot of houses off the market. There's nothing's been quantified yet. And I, and I, I'm hoping that we can get to do something, get at least approach doing that to find out how serious this, this issue is because, you know, the governor just last week in his state of the state was, you know, very much that was the, as far as I'm concerned, that was the key thing he talked about in, in his state of the state was about his, his affordable housing initiative. Mm-hmm. Trying to get 13,000 more units in the state as quickly as possible. So it, it's a it's a dichotomy there. Yeah, definitely. And and when you look up in, in especially in northern New Hampshire and all these, these touristy areas, I mean, there's no real hotels to speak of. There's no, very that's... few. I mean, do, you, you've been in the state a long time, Jeff. I mean, why is that the case? Is it a matter of zoning? Is it a matter of businesses don't think they get enough traffic to make it worthwhile? Well, I think a lot of it is because it's only for certain seasons, and I don't uh, think enough, there's enough volume of, of business. Because I lived in New London for 35 years, and there are very few hotels there. Mm-hmm. And that's because people, you know, just they just stay for a little while. They stay in the summer. They stay. They go for skiing. And actually, you know, I, from the history of, of Lake Sunapee area, which I know as well as any of any of the other areas in the state, they used to be huge hotels in Sunapee. But that was because people would come up on the train. And actually, if you believe it or not, there would be trains all day long going to Sunapee Harbor from Boston. Wow. With with tourists. But they would come and stay for weeks at a time hmm. in hotels. But that's not the case anymore. And that's why people rent out of houses. And, you know, I know they, they've rented out houses in, in, let's say, New London for a long time. But it wasn't on a daily basis. Right. You know, they, for a week or two weeks, it was a much different kind of traffic. It's the whole business of, like, Old Orchard Beach, for example, is yeah. they have tons of condos that you rent out for a week or for a month, and you stay there. The The business owner, the landowner makes bank on that, yeah. but it's it's only seasonal, but it, it, it because of the rates they charge over that span of time makes it worthwhile. But for a hotel, I mean, they can only yeah. charge so much for a hotel room. Yeah, and actually, and actually, if you think about it, you know, you can't open a hotel that's only open for, you know, four or five months out of the year. Yeah, and if way you too much space. Year, you have to have your staff there, and you have to have pay for the heat and pay for and all the stuff you have to pay for. It. The, the expenses are much, much. It's exponentially higher for a hotel or a motel. Do you have any predictions on how the Supreme Court might respond to a case like this? I have no idea. It's it's on it's on a not on our, an arcane kind of the definition of zoning, permissive zoning, and and I don't know. I, I believe me, I am not a lawyer, and I'm me glad. Too. And I'm happy I'm not. I'm very proud exactly. of that. It's also a lot of damn work. I, I don't want to do it either. I have no idea. <laughs> Has the legislature really dove too deep into this? Actually, there's a bill in, in, a, in the House, in, in the legislature this year that does address this. And it's not necessarily to uh, make the communities as, ha- as happy about it as it is because it basically takes a lot of the uh, regulatory ability of communities to uh, – to to regulate these these uh, rentals, and it's not it's I I I've you know we've written about this for a couple of t- a couple of articles in our paper, and it's not exactly what I call a classic local control kind of mm-hmm. bill in New Hampshire. It's kind of the state saying you can't bother with this stuff. This is this the renters could do what they want, or basically, 
and I think that a lot of a lot of uh, communities are, are are concerned about this bill. Yeah, and Airbnbs and such are they're only going to expand over time unless there's some sort of local yeah. regulation over it. I mean, so, yeah, it's yeah, and in like in Spain, they they try to ban them because they don't they just because mm-hmm. they have a serious housing crisis there in the whole country, and they were like just whole you know, thousands of units that were going for rentals that were used to be rent, you know, places where people would have houses or live all year. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's happening in places like New York as well. And Oh yeah, it, definitely. It's, it's, it's getting, it, and I, and I think it's be, these communities like Conway and others, and I think Portsmouth's another one, they're becoming aware of the effect of short term rentals on the housing stock. So transitioning, still saying zoning, but off to something else. There's been a uh, series that Johnny Bassett at the Granite State News Collaborative and yourself yes. have worked on called um, In- Invisible Walls, which is diving into the zoning and housing issue of Manchester specifically as a case yes. study. Um, yes. I've actually got Johnny on, on uh, the New England take. It'll be next week on Friday um, it, dur- during the 6 p.m. hour, but it'll be on demand at nhtalkradio.com to, if you want to check that out too. So it'll be a little more in-depth than we can cover right now. Um, but can you discuss what's, what kicked off that series and why people should check it out? Well, it started out, uh, the Business Review is part of the Grand State uh, News Collaborative, which is a collaborative of a lot of publications, uh, media outlets, there's, uh, there's Public Radio, is a prominent and actually we work with New Hampshire Public Radio and we work with Business New Hampshire for the first time in our history the two publications work together on this and Johnny was the uh, was the researcher and reporter for the for the linchpin pieces on this on the zoning and it grew out of the collaborative's overall race and equity initiative we've been doing this project uh, since last year and uh, it's a long-term project to look at you know race and equity issues in New Hampshire, and we we look we wanted to look at what zoning does, how how that affects uh, you know New Hampshire in terms of from a, from a race standpoint, racial standpoint, but from other standpoints as well. And uh, what what we did, and Johnny did a just a, I, I, I'm serious about this, like a Pulitzer level winning job on the research on this. Mm-hmm. He looked at this area, these two census tracts in the inner city of, of Manchester. Actually, that's where that Don Quixote restaurant is. is one, mm-hmm. It's in that area. Where historically they've been the place where, uh, let's say, marginalized people in Manchester have lived, whether they were originally the Irish when they first came to New Hampshire. When, then there were the French and the Greeks. And uh, over the years, they were all put into this area. And it's where the housing stock is is really, in some cases, substandard. And it still remains very substandard. And now that's where a lot of people uh, of color, uh, people from other countries live, refugees. There's a huge concentration in there. And it's, a lot of it is because New Hampshire, Manchester's zoning created the situation. And we have a further look at it that's not part of Johnny's story, but we're looking forward, we're looking into it as we move on. Is that the effects of zoning in other communities puts pressure on cities like Manchester, and because Manchester cities like Manchester have some exclusionary zoning, it just concentrates even more people living in that area, and it also contributes to homelessness because there's just so many. There's just so many housing units in those places. 
And you know, they, I would say the, a lot of the thing about the units are they're affordable, but they're affordable because they're substandard. And in many cases, they probably you know would be closed down in some other communities. You know, it's just there's health hazards and there's high, there's that's the last time a, a, a child died of lead poisoning was a was in a housing unit in that area. I think I'm sure Johnny will probably be able to talk to you about this, but it, it's not a uh, it, it's it's a situation that needs to be addressed that people need, need to be more aware of, and I don't I don't think it have been. Diving into it through through this reporting, were you surprised to see the current state of it? Uh, of the of the community, well, I, actually, yeah. I've, I, I've worked in Manchester for you know, over thirty five years, and I know it pretty well. And now that I live here, I know it be- more, you know, better. And it's a, uh, I w- I was surprised at the extent of the, uh, this, what what has happened. It's like it really is a, uh, it's the creation of you know. You know, when I was growing up in New York, there were like places like Bedford Stuyvesant, East New York, and. South Bronx, where there were people who were marginalized and live, but there have been changes in those areas. The South Bronx is still problematic, but like Bedford Stuyvesant now has been gentrified for better or worse. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's much more of a of a multicultural neighborhood, and it's it's housing. It's housing has been improved a lot, and uh, this is a situation where there, we're we're looking at this. Johnny's working on a further story, and we have other people working on stories as well. It's not just Johnny's reporting. But on you know, who owns these buildings and where do they live and you know many of them are absentee landlords. They don't live in New Hampshire. They don't, and they apparently, for when you can, there's not. I'm not saying every house, every building in that area is is not taken care of. That is not mm-hmm. true. Many landlords are responsible, but some, but many are not. And I'd imagine a lot are owned by very large corporations. Yeah, we we haven't found that out yet, but that's one of the things that Johnny's working on and. We're going to find out, and we're going to find out what how many buildings in the area actually do have had violations that have either been addressed or not been addressed. And um, <clears throat> it's going to be an interesting piece. And I know that Johnny can talk about it, but I know he's been approached by uh, some city officials to talk about his findings, which is which is a good thing that they want. Yeah, to- I'm sure city. I mean, there's city officials that are elected in every every year or whatever, and they don't necessarily they don't know, know what's going on. They don't know. They they know that they know. Who lives in the community and they know everything but they don't know what they don't know about the history of it and, i mean it, it was and and i don't want to let it i don't i don't want to put all the blame on the city of manchester the major blame in the creation of this zoning this situation this discrimination is laid at the feet of the amaskeg manufacturing company mm-hmm. they did not want different people of different ethnic groups to be together because they were afraid they the unions they would you know they would be talking to each other, so they separate. That's why, you know, if anyone's familiar with Manchester, you know, that's why the west side of Manchester is, is predominantly from you know people of, of French Canadian descent, because mm-hmm. they said that's where you're going. Yeah, places where you know there, there's a lot of Greek uh, people from Greek descent. They said that's where you're living, and that's that's really how how it evolved was Amiskeg, the Amiskeg company, which was the largest employer, not just in Manchester but in New Hampshire, and I think at one point I understand like ten. Ten percent of all the jobs in New Hampshire were were at the Amiskeg company at the time. That's just phenomenal. Are uh, all these are all these articles on New Hampshire Business Review? Well, they, these I'm, I'm just giving you some other history, and, and and they will be. But but Johnny's article is, and where it talks about Amiskeg, yes, that's in the first uh, first installment. 
That's on the Hampshire Business Review website. It's the Invisible Wall series. There's another one followed up on that on specifically on the zoning. And there's one specifically about the Amersgate Company's history in Manchester. So, so definitely, have- everyone, please check that out. Sorry, Jeff, we're out of time. So I got to yeah, wrap it up right here. I'm very proud of the project. Yeah, definitely. So definitely check out that series and stay tuned also for my interview with Johnny uh, Bassett regarding this. So thanks, Jeff Feingold from the New Hampshire Business Review, nhbr.com to get more from them. You're listening to WKXL in the morning.